All right. Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 4. Hopefully you were here last week as I began what is typically known as the parable of the soils. Uh, To remind you once again, there are certain Bibles that have a title above that section and it will say the parable of the sower. Let me just say it is not the parable of the sower. It is not about the sower. The focus is directly upon the soils, okay? The soil is descriptive of the heart of man. And most importantly, if he is receptive to that seed, which Jesus tells us here is the word of God. Well, last week I tried getting through verses 10 through 20. To no surprise, I was unsuccessful at doing so. This morning we're going to finish up what I started last week. But as I always do, I always want to go back a little bit. I want to make sure we are up to date up to snuff on the context of this passage so you're not staring at me in wonderment as we're going through this text. Now, in chapter 4, as verse 1 shares, Jesus is currently uh, at the Sea of Galilee. He's teaching a large crowd, it says, that had come to him. Uh, The crowd was actually so large that Jesus had to get into a boat and actually go offshore just a little bit to be able to deal with the great amount of people. But as Jesus was on the boat, and as all these other people were on the shoreline, he shares with them the parable of the soils, which you can see in verses 3 through 8. Now, when finished, uh, to no surprise, many of them actually walked away because, eh, you know, they really weren't there to hear him teach. They were there because they had heard of the miracles. You can actually see that if you want to go back on your own time, right here in Mark chapter 1, as well as in chapter 3, there was a lot of that going on. They weren't there, you know, for certain things. They want to see what was going on. They want to see these great phenomenal things that were happening. Now, for those who were actually followers, they were believers in Jesus, verse 10 calls them the 12, we know who they are, and the others, okay? They did not want to stop with the parable. They wanted to hear the interpretation. You see, they believed Jesus was the Messiah. They believed that he spoke the truth and they wanted to hear as much as they could. And therefore, verse 10 says, they go to Jesus when he was alone looking for the meaning of the parable. Now, remember what the word parable means. Parabole is is the Greek. The the word parable simply means a side-by-side comparison. Makes sense. You think of para, right? Parallel, parallel lines. You think of things like that, right? It's a side-by-side comparison. And so you're trying to convey spiritual truth by placing it alongside a common life experience. Okay? Now, let's see what Jesus does with that in this text. Now, this morning what I want to do, a little different than last week, but I'm going to look at a piece of the parable Okay, the parable is in verses 3 through 8. And then I'll look at the interpretation, which is below. Okay? So right now, I'm going to look at verse 3, and then I'm going to read verse 14, Mark chapter 4. He says, Jesus says simply, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. The interpretation, back in verse 14, simply says, The farmer sows the word, or as Luke says, the word of God. 
And so very simply, obviously, here in this, this first part, the analogy is, is Jesus is using a farmer, as you can, I'm sure, picture, who's throwing the seed. He's saying here that just like that farmer is a person, okay, because now it goes from the seed to a person, is a person who takes the word of God, or if you want to just say, he takes the gospel to the lost, okay? He's that one who scatters the seed of the gospel, if you will, to those who are lost. I'm sure many of you know uh, the passage uh, that we know as the Great Commission, right? Many of you know that passage. Most of the time, you'll, you'll hear it read from Mark, I'm sorry, from Matthew uh, chapter 28. Uh, Jesus has risen from the grave. He is preparing once again to go to be with the Father. And there's actually a 40-day 40, 40 gap that he's on the earth at this time. But before he actually ascends to be with the Lord, which you can find in Acts chapter 1, He's telling the apostles what their responsibility is. Here's what you're going to be needing to do, okay? And then he said, many of you know this, go and make disciples of all the nations, right? At the end of Luke's gospel, chapter 24, he says, preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And then, of course, in Acts chapter 1, after they were to receive the Holy Spirit, you might remember that, it says, wait until the Holy Spirit comes and you'll receive power, right, when he comes. You'll receive power, he says, to be witnesses, okay? It doesn't get off in this lot of the charismatic stuff that people want to today. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you so you can be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so like a farmer with his seed, he's saying we are to be the, the, uh, a sower of the word of God. Because we, just like, this didn't stop with the apostles. I believe that also we take over, because we are now representatives of Christ and his kingdom. We now should be out sharing that very same, that very same gospel. Okay? Now, a sower, by the way, does not have to be a pastor. It does not have to be a preacher or anybody with Bible training. It just simply needs to be a man or a woman, you or me, who is willing to spread the truth of the gospel to a lost and dying world. The power of the word of God, once again, not you, not me, but the power of the word of God is what changes people's lives. I shared last week a few different verses, but just to bring up one of them, Romans 1.16. Many of you know this, but listen to what it says. I am not ashamed of what? The gospel, because it, meaning the gospel, is the power of God unto what? Salvation. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You don't get saved, folks, without the gospel. Doesn't happen. I said something to somebody the other day in my neighborhood, and that was mentioned, you know, so-and-so, you know, when they accepted Jesus into their heart. And I, I made a simple statement saying, there's, there's not a person on this planet, not one from the beginning of time who has ever been heaven-bound, who's ever came to a saving knowledge of Christ by asking Jesus into their heart. It's impossible. There's no gospel message. There's no, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. There's no death, there's no burial, there's no resurrection. It's impossible. 
The gospel is the power unto salvation. The goal of the farmer, as you know, is a crop, right? That's the hope, and then ultimately the harvest. For the believer who sows the word of God, it's no different. We just simply call the harvest the salvation of a lost soul. But it's the same thing. Well, like the farmer, we need to understand that, as Jesus shares here, that not all the soil is the same, right? If you will, not every heart of every individual out there is going to be receptive as one of the others, okay? As this passage reveals, sometimes the farmer works very hard and he gets nothing. There are other times that uh, he thinks he has something. Hey, there's something sprouting up, but then it's nothing. Other times, uh, uh, he witnesses something coming up. He, he sees the plant coming up, but it ends with something else being planted there. We all know it. It's called a weed. <laughs> so you have three different soils. There's no return. There's no crop. There's no nothing. But then, of course, there is the good soil, and it does everything that it's intended to do, and that is simply to bring forth a harvest. Okay? Well, let's go ahead and look at those soils. Once again, we'll look at the parable. Just going to read the verse out of there, and I'll read the verse out of the interpretation. I'm going to read verse 4 and then verse 15. Verse 4, it says, As he, meaning the farmer, was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and they ate it up. Go down to verse 15. He says, some people are like seed along the path. Notice it says some people, because it's once again talking about the heart of an individual now. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. So some people are just like, he says, the seed that's tossed or ended up on the path. Now, the path, as I mentioned last week, was hard. The path is, is, is dry, it's compacted dirt, and therefore it, it can't do anything with the seed, and so it just lays there and it quickly gets eaten up by the birds. The path here is no different than the path anywhere you know. The path here he's talking about is a path that goes in between fields and whatnot. The farmer and his helpers walk it. As we know, when we were kids, I don't know about you guys, but we'd walk, we'd, we'd take shortcuts to school and everything. I don't care if you're walking across somebody's lawn or the park or whatever, and you wear a path. And now it's as hard as a rock. The grass is gone. It's just as hard as a rock. That's the path. Okay, that's what he's talking about. Well, like that path, many people are hard to the gospel. Like the seed trying to get into the path, some people are just impenetrable. They're just impenetrable. It doesn't matter how much seed or how much of the gospel you throw at them, the person wants nothing to do with Christianity, the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing. Now, as I said last week, this isn't always one type of person. Okay? Now, sure, we know like an atheist, we know how they would react. They're, they're basically taught that religion is a fantasy. It's nothing but a fraud. It's a crutch for weak-minded people. 
and the atheist will typically put up a wall real quick and, hey, you know what, don't waste my time. I don't want to hear this. But you know what, folks? It could also be someone who grew up in the church. And in that person's mind, growing up in the church, they saw nothing but hypocrisy. And they, therefore, they are turned off by anything that's considered religious. Or maybe it's just someone who got burned so many times by those church people. Just, just get away from me. I don't want to hear it. But whatever reason it may be, these people will not give the word of God, the gospel, a chance. Like the farmer throwing his seed, these people get the word, right? We know that, but it says they quickly ignore it, right? As verse 15 says, like Satan, just like the birds in verse 4, he quickly comes and he snatches it away. It's like it just sits there with nothing to do with it. The second kind of soil that you might expect to see out in this world if you spread the word of God is what you're going to see in verses 5 and 6 and then verses 16 and 17. Notice verses 5 and 6. Some, meaning some seed, some of the seed fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Now, the interpretation of that is in verses 16 and 17. It says, Others, like the seed sown on rocky places, they hear the word, and at once it says they receive it with joy. But he says, Since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. <clears throat> Israel, by the way, in case you didn't know, this was a place that was, or is, was, is still known for an abundance of limestone. It's all throughout the country. But without knowing exactly where all that limestone is, some seed would get sown into a soil that was not very deep, and just right below it, I mean a couple of inches, was a bunch of limestone, was a bunch of rocks. But you only got that much soil. You don't know. You can't see it, right? Verse 5 says, because of that, because you got this little bit of soil with all these rocks below it, it sprang up quickly. Boom. Tossed the seed. Wow, look at that. I already got something coming up. But sadly, what does he find out in verse 6? It says the sun scorched it because it had no root, right? In other words, there was, there was no place to draw nourishment. There's no place to draw water because the rock is there. And so it's a big disappointment for the farmer. He sees it spring up, but the sun is so hot it just withered that fast. As fast as it sprang up is as fast as it withered. Well, as it pertains to the sower of the word, we have the same scenario with the soil. Okay? It's shallow. It's shallow. Here in verse 16, what does it say? It says, This person heard the word and at once, do you see that? At once received it with joy, just like how the, the plant sprang up quickly. Right? 
This is the person who hears the message and says, man, I like that. This sounds really good. Jesus will forgive all my sins, and one day I can look forward to going to heaven when I die. I mean, I'd be really dumb not to take up that offer. This is the kind of response that will come many times from, from cheap, superficial evangelism. It's a, it's a spiritual experience that's a emotionally exhilarating. But there's no meat on that bone. In today's world, it's the lights, it's the fog machine. It's, do you want Jesus? He'll heal your family. He'll heal your budget. He'll do all these things. It's cheap evangelism. Folks, true salvation is not about what do I get? It's about a broken spirit. It's about an acknowledgement of your sin and that you are separated from a holy God. Therefore, there's a heart of repentance. There's a desire to turn and to walk with God. What's going on here is what I would simply call a generic profession of faith that obviously turns out to be very artificial. We know that, by the way, it's not my opinion. We know that, by the way, if you look back at verse 17, what does he say? They have no root. It's not my viewpoint. It says they have no root. And what does he say? They last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, boom, they quickly fall away. It's, it's like I mentioned a minute ago from verses 5 and 6. As fast as the plant sprouted, at the same speed in which it's going to wither. The person who has received this, what I call cheap evangelism, says, yes, I'll take it. But because it was based on an emotional experience, as soon as trouble comes, they ditch all those promises they were waiting for, and they turn right back to the life from which they came. I'm sure many of us here have seen those, seen that happen. Folks, th there will be what I call temporary converts. They're always going to be out there. They're easy to spot because just like the verse says, they have no root. In other words, it's short-lived and they're gone. They come back the next week, you know, hey, 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 and you invite them to Bible study and then just they fade on into the sunset as the old movies would say. Soil number three. Look at verse seven. It says, Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up, and they choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. So here you have a soil that's a little bit deceiving, if you will, because of, uh, if you're looking from the top, Okay, it, it looks like it's good, right, to plant the seed. Everything looks just fine. But when your crop starts to grow, guess what underground starts to grow with it? We've all seen it in our own yard. You can even think of springtime. Hey, oh, the grass is growing and it's getting green. And, and guess what's right next to it? Weeds, dandelions, whatever else you want to say, thorny things. There's some that I'll grab out of my yard. I'm like, oh, what's that? I'll go like this and it's got thorns on it. I'm like, what's growing out of my ground? What is that? Where'd that come from? It happens. 
Those thorny weeds in our text grow faster and bigger than the plant, and therefore they just suck the life out of the plant. And to no surprise, what does the text say? They did not bear grain. Nothing there. Well, how is that personified, right? How is that personified? Look at verses 18 and 19. Look at my eyes going here. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, they hear the word. They hear the word of God, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things comes in, and it chokes the word, making it un fruitful. Luke, in his account of this parable, it says in chapter 8, verse 14, it says, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as soon as they go on their way, in other words, they begin their new life's journey, if you want to put it that way, they're choked by life's worries and riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. By saying that, they hear the word, right? And then saying they go on their way, it, it, it kind of makes us think that visually, well, you know, we're the outside looking in, right? Visually, it, they, they seem to go a little bit further than the last guy. The last guy, it says, quickly fell away. Boom, just like that. This one, may, may it, it seems visually that they go a little bit further. But unfortunately, though, he says they still meet the same demise. Verse 19 says their life was unfruitful. Nothing. But when you read these verses, it should be easy to see why. It was unfruitful, right? We're going to go back and look at the verse and we're going to see why. This guy, this person in here, this soil, has a lot on his plate, doesn't he? By looking at verse 19, no matter what it is, it seems to be more important than God. Okay? Oh, sure, you know, everybody's going to give God some lip service now and there, but it's only when time allows. Notice verse 19. There's three things that get in the way of God. Okay? Number one, the worries of this life. The worries of this life. Now, in the Greek, the word for worries comes from the root word, meaning to be drawn in different directions. Okay? This is literally translated to be distracted. Okay? To be distracted. In other words, there are so many things out there. This guy has his hand in every pot. Right? This is the two-faced guy who loves what life offers him. A whole lot more than the God he professes. He loves what life offers. Man, there's a lot out there. Yeah, he loves a little more for that than it is for God. Oh, sure, he heard the word as it says, but verse 18 says he's got greater interests. There's other things going on. In my opinion, he finds himself right in the middle of 1 John chapter 2 which says, one who loves the world and all that is in the world. Do you know that passage? This is him. The problem, though, is if you continue in that, it also says, therefore, the love of God is not in him. Folks, he has a preoccupied heart. 
There's not enough room to plant anything else in this man's soil, right? He's got his, he's got his, his pot. He's got three different plants in it already. I don't really know if I got room to plant God there. So I'm not going to get to pay much attention to it. There's a lot of other stuff growing around there, right? Well, if that wasn't bad enough, verse 19 says he was deceived by wealth. In other words, wealth gave him a false sense of security. And so you can understand that's pretty high on his list. <laughs> Money. Many of you know this, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. He says, do not, do not, he says, store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But, he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. You notice this guy has that in reverse? It's like he's just flipped them around. I'm storing up for myself treasures on earth. And if I can even think about it later on, I'll, the whole God thing, you know, stuff on the, you know, in the heaven, I, you know, we'll think about it later. He's got it in reverse, right? We all know what it says here, for where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also. Think about that for a second. For where your f- treasure is, for where your focus is, for, right? what's your mind going, what do you desire, what's your thinking every day, whatever that is, that is truly what your heart is. Don't lie to yourself. That's reality. Where your treasure is, he says, that's where your heart is. And what is your treasure? Is it money? Is it material things? What is it? Verse 24 says, no one, that's pretty clear, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and he will love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He didn't say don't do it. He says you cannot do it. You can't. You can't do both. It doesn't happen. You guys remember the story of the rich young ruler? Remember that one, the rich young ruler? I think these guys were probably related. Okay? Keep in mind that guy, the question that he asked Jesus, right? Hey, Jesus, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? That was his question. Okay? What do I got to do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus eventually said, I don't want to go through the whole parable, but he eventually said, tell you what, tell you what, if sell everything you got, just, just sell it all, give all the money to the poor, and come and follow me. Do you remember his answer? He didn't give an answer. He went away sad, but that's the answer. He walked away sad. He didn't even give the answer. He just, he just oh man, and walked away. By walking away, we know what the answer was, don't we? It's like he's saying, man, you know, Jesus, I just asked you that question, what can I do to enter heaven? I'm interested in heaven, but I'm not that interested. Ah, This is the man in our text. I'm not saying it's the rich young ruler, no, but that's the mindset of the man in our text. There's still... One more thing messing with him in verse 19. It says, the desire for other things. Basically, this is just all things that men crave in life. If you want to say it, it's it's anything that the first two didn't cover, it's whatever's left over. (laughs) Everything that man craves. 
It's all about what I like. It's all about what I want, what I have to have, what can I buy, and on and on and on and on. Okay? Talking about God's provision in our own lives, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God. This guy wasn't even... Kingdom of God in this guy's world was barely pulling up the rear. Okay? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. Once again, he's just talking about your basic provision of life. You see, folks, the, the distinguishing mark of the true Christian is his overriding love for God. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. If you love me, you'll be faithful. If you love me, you'll serve me. Because if you love me, you can fill in the blank. It's on and on. That's the overriding, distinguishing mark, your love for God. It's not an overriding desire for the things of the world. That's diametrically opposed to it. That, verse 19 says, will choke what little bit of the word that originally, he originally consumed. There's too much. There's too much of the world. God's kind of getting in the way. And therefore, for the third straight time, the ultimate purpose of the sower was never fully revealed or realized. So let's be honest. Sometimes, folks, sharing the gospel can be disappointing. can be, right? You're going to run into people whose heart is hard. It's just literally impenetrable. Other times, people seem to respond, right? But it's only on the surface. A week later, they're back to their old ways. Still others, they seem to give a verbal commitment, but you find out in only a short time the things they love seems to possess more of their time. They love the world more than anything else. But the good news is, if you're persistent and you keep on, like the farmer, you will always find the soil that responds to the seed. Okay? Yes, year after year, there is always that time of frustration. I mean, holy smokes, with the farmer in this story here, uh, there's only one of them that produces fruit. So there's some disappointment in this, right? But all all that's outdone when you see the harvest, you see. I'm going to read verse 8, and then I'm going to read verse 20. And I want you to notice there's three things that are mentioned in each verse, Okay? Verse 8 says, get my mind back over here. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, number one. It grew, number two. And it produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Verse 20. Others, like the seed sown on good soil, they hear the word, they accept it, and it produces a crop, 30, 60, or even 100 times what is sown. What's the one similarity in each of those three? It produced a crop. Each one of those verses says it produced a crop. How much crop, by the way, was produced out of the other soils combined? Nothing. Nothing. Right? That going back to use the same term I used before, is the distinguishing mark of a real convert. And we'll just simply call it fruit. 
Or if you want to call it a crop, that's fine. As a matter of fact, if you back up one chapter in your Bible, chapter 3, verse 35, Jesus in this passage mentions his brothers and his sisters. Okay, look at chapter 3, um, uh, verse 32. Here you have a crowd that was with Jesus. And the crowd says, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Jesus answers in verse 33, who are my mothers and my brothers, he asked. And then he looked at those who were seated in the circle around him. And he said, here are my brother and my mother. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Did you catch that? Jesus says it is those who do the Father's will. To be a part of the family of God isn't just because someone threw seed at you and you gave some temporary emotional response. It's going to be evidenced in growth or what the Bible calls a crop or what the Bible calls fruit. It produces something. I'm sure you guys remember Matthew 7. Jesus says, listen, everybody. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Emphasis on the word says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, but it's he who does the will of my Father. Did you catch that? Wow. Not those who say, it's those who, once again, it goes back to what he says. He does the will of my Father. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship. He says we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, for which God prepared in advance for us to do. Folks, if you are a true believer, as we're looking at this soil, you're going to bear fruit. You're going to bear fruit. You're going to produce a crop. I'll put it this way theologically. For those God justifies, he also sanctifies. God doesn't just save you, justify you, and say, you know, get out of here, you're on your own. If you're justified, he will sanctify you. You've heard me say it, folks, there's no such thing as an unfruitful or an unchanged Christian. Now listen, we are not all going to produce the same. So don't get me wrong. You know, none of us are, you know, walking here in the heavenly clouds like we're perfect people. We're not all the same. But there will always be a level of fruit in some Christian's life. John 15, verse 5. Jesus says, I'm the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. But then he says, apart from me, or picture snipping the vine from the branches, apart from me, you can produce what? Nothing. Nothing. How much harvest came out of those other three soils? Nothing. Nothing. So for all this to happen you and I have a little bit of a job to do. Verse 20 says, 
before he accepted the word, he had to hear it. He had to hear it. Somebody had to plant the seed. Somebody had to share the gospel. Folks, there's a great joy when the word of God gets out, when God's truth is being told. But there's a greater joy when someone accepts it, when a new life in Christ begins. Listen to me, that happened to you and that happened to me. Am I right? Absolutely. Happened to all of us. But listen to me, the gospel did not just drop out of the sky. Someone shared the gospel message before you trusted in Jesus Christ. Someone cared not just about your life today, but your eternal destiny as well. And so they took the time to share Jesus with you. Folks, the power of plant life is in the seed, right? Just like the power of the spiritual life is in the word. Romans 10, 14. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never even heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless, you guys know it, someone tells them? Now, folks, when I say these things, don't think somehow that God is going to judge you based on the number of converts under your care. He will not. But he will based on your faithfulness to the calling that he gave us all. He's not going, whoo, how many did you get? How many did you get? He wants your faithfulness. We don't save people. Nobody in this room saves people. He just wants our faithfulness, right? You can't change a heart, neither can I, but we can honor God with the message. Still, hmm. Still in verse 20, He says, the word has been spread by the faithful. We've already talked about that. But about him accepting it and the course of growth that comes along with that, verse 9, now he lastly says it produces a crop. This is the joy of the farmer, right? It's also the joy of the spiritual sower, isn't it? What did I say before was producing a crop? It's the life of a, a sinful soul, right? The farmer, folks, can take one seed and produce a stalk that will give him eight more seeds. The spiritual sower, the believer who shares the gospel, hopefully all has that same desire for this to multiply, right? Those who share the word yield those others who share the word and to others who share the word and on and on. We get it. Matter of fact, the apostle Paul felt the exact same way he shared the exact same principle to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, it's a good one to remember, 2 Tim 2.2, 2, okay? Paul says this to Timothy. He says, the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, he says, I want you, Timothy, to entrust it to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Did you get that, what he said? It went from Paul to Timothy to reliable men to others, because that was the goal. It's multiplication. Kind of goes back to the whole 30, 60, 100 times, doesn't it? 
God is looking for a spiritual harvest. Some people may be evangelizing out there and, and, and numerous people over time come to know Jesus Christ. Okay? Everywhere they go, wherever they work, the grocery store, the gas station, they just can't help themselves but to talk about Jesus. I know a guy like this in California. <laughs> you put him anywhere in any situation with any group, give him two minutes. Give him two minutes. And he's just going. Some others may have a, an impact in another way. Pastors and teachers, like myself, we can equip the congregations to be bold in their witness, which is, by the way, what I'm doing right now. Okay. Sometimes one or two sermons can actually change the heart of a few people. And if it changes a person's heart, chances are good it'll change somebody else's heart and maybe somebody else's heart, right? And it goes back to what I said. It's that, that whole snowball effect. And then lastly, others will have an impact because of their changed life that I mentioned just a minute ago. That by no means says you don't share the gospel, okay? But it does mean that one of the greatest impacts that we can have is to be, have a faithful walk with the Lord. We don't always have, you know, we don't always pull into a gas station and get gas and then just run over to the other one. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? You know, we don't necessarily do that. But if we can consistently in our lives be faithful to our walk with Christ, people see that. People notice that. And that matters. Because we can't just walk around yelling constantly. Do you know Jesus? You know, we can't just do that. So it matters. But however it is that God uses you, it will only happen because you're faithful to him. Okay? With all the soil, if you will, that is out there, only some of it's fertile. But let God use you to multiply the harvest. We need to pray. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for our time today. Thank you that we can be reminded of the truth in the gospel, the power of the gospel, and be reminded for all of us here that we're called to be faithful in sharing the truth. You don't have to be a hardcore evangelist to share your faith or your testimony. Help us, Lord, to do so. Help us to be reminded. Help us to think about our neighbors and others around us, our coworkers, that we can be faithful, Lord. And Lord, we'll let you do the rest. It might be a hardened soil, but Lord, we don't know. We just want to do our job and we'll let you take care of it because we don't save people. Thank you in Jesus' name.